Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you. And are you going there again? Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death. But they thought that he was merely referring to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Your brother will rise again. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When Martha had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here. He's calling to you. And when Mary heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but there was still at the place, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. Where have you laid him? The Jews said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Take away the stone, 
Lord, already there is a stench, because he has been dead for four days. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up toward heaven and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If we'd read just a few more verses, I know you can't imagine us having done that to you, but if we read just a few more verses, you would have seen how Jesus would be glorified for resuscitating Lazarus. If we read just a little bit more, you would have heard what happens when people believe things they've been told not to believe. You'd have heard Caiaphas, the high priest, say it is better to have one man die for the people than to have the whole nation destroyed. You've heard John explain, so from that day on, they planned to put Jesus to death. Jesus knew their plans. He'd been telling the disciples about their plans. He, he told them that he would be lifted up, that like Moses' healing staff, he would be lifted up. It's a euphemism. Lifted up. Unlike in Mark's Gospel, where Jesus said it plainly, where he began to teach that the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. In John's Gospel, Jesus says, I'll be lifted up. Now that may sound like taking lemons and making lemonade. But for Jesus, it was taking death and making life. Lazarus was dead. Jesus had tried to say it euphemistically, he's asleep. But the disciples, as our, one of our teachers likes to call them, well, they just thought he'd wake up. So Jesus had to say it plainly, Lazarus is dead. The confusing part is that Jesus had just moments before said this illness does not lead to death. He's dead, but this illness does not lead to death. We're beginning to see why the disciples got confused. Death is confusing. It's unfamiliar. It's often unwelcome. It doesn't matter how many times you've been alongside someone who's dying. It doesn't matter how many weeks or months or years you think you've been preparing for it. 
Death is like a rip current. And what you see on the top of the wave doesn't reveal all that's churning beneath. A friend of mine tells me that when his father died, after his father died, he would drive past a place and it was a place that never meant anything to him before. But that the grief would overwhelm him as he went by that spot. There would be some kind of smell or sound or or sight that would trigger in him a thought of his father, a father he could no longer pick up the phone and and call. And he'd weep. He said that he was prepared for the obvious moments, the anniversaries, the special occasions, cleaning out his father's closet. But when when on a random Tuesday afternoon he was driving along and a song came on the radio that he had not thought anything about before and he broke down in tears, he knew he still had grief to deal with. When you love someone and they're gone, the absence is forever felt. There's an empty place where he should be. At every wedding, birth, baptism, graduation, thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter. There's an empty place where he should be. That's true at whatever age the loved one dies. Whenever a person dies, there's a loss. Loss is the inevitable cost of loving. You learned that when your first pet died. You learned that when your first grandparent died. Life is a long series of lessons on loving and losing. And because loving and being loved are so good, then you have come to agree with Lord Tennyson. I hold it true. Whatever befall, I feel it when I sorrow most. Is better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Mary and Martha were in the throes of grief when Jesus arrived. They took him to the tomb. Now, Jesus has already told the disciples that this would not end in death. He had told Martha that he is the resurrection. Like, we expect Jesus to walk up to that tomb, to lift up that boulder, to say, what is wrong with you people? I've told you. Instead, Jesus weeps. We have a God who weeps. We have a God who hears us weep. At the end of this scene, Jesus offers the shortest of prayers. You would be embarrassed to pray a prayer this short. Two sentences, 38 words. Father, I thank you for having heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. He didn't even say amen. Jesus, who was all about God's glory, prayed on behalf of others. 
He prayed that they might believe. Even before that, he gave thanks. He gave thanks. He gave thanks for Lazarus' resuscitation, which sounds about right, except that when Lazarus is restored to life, it means Jesus is closer to his own death. That Jesus understood himself to be the the resurrection and the life, that he was proving it by raising Lazarus back to life, was for the authorities just too much. It was blasphemy. He was leading people away from God. They felt he must die. Jesus knew that Lazarus emerging from his tomb meant Jesus was closer to his own. Better for one man to die for the people than to have the whole nation destroyed, Caiaphas had said. Jesus knew that restoring Lazarus to life would bring about his own death. And he gave thanks anyway. He restored Lazarus' life, which would cost him his life. And all the while he prayed, Father, I thank you for having heard me. We don't have a transcript of what the Father heard from Jesus. Was it his plea, Father, restore Lazarus to life? Did he pray on behalf of the women? Lord, comfort these ladies, Martha and Mary. Was it that the Father heard Jesus weep? Perhaps Jesus didn't have to list before God what he wanted God to do. He and the Father were in constant communication. Maybe all God needed to hear was his weeping. We don't know what the Father heard from Jesus. We just know he heard it. And Jesus thanked him for it. And by extension, Jesus thanked God for Lazarus' restoration, which was a catalyst for Jesus' own crucifixion. Jesus thanked God that Lazarus lived, even though Lazarus living meant Jesus would die. Jesus thanked God because God was bringing life out of death. God brought Lazarus out of the tomb. God would bring Jesus out of the tomb. God will bring you and me and our loved ones out of the tomb. That doesn't take away the reality of the sorrow. Jesus wept. It doesn't take away the sadness of loss, the pain of the absence, the the fear of the unknown. All of those things remain even when we're confident. Even when Jesus was confident that the Father would bring life out of death, all of those things remained. Sadness. Pain. Fear remained, as does God's ability to bring life out of death. That's why the darkest day of the year is called 
Good Friday. That's why the meal we celebrate today, a meal in which we talk about our Lord's body being torn apart, His blood being poured out. It's why we call it Eucharist, which means thanksgiving. We pray the great thanksgiving, a prayer in which we remember that our Lord gave Himself up for us, that Jesus died. This meal, this Eucharist, this born out of the Passover tradition. Now, the Passover meal had in it hearts to remember the story, the salty water, the bitter herbs, the the paste that is like mortar, hearts to remember how they had been cruelly and inhumanely treated. But even in that meal, there are four toasts, four reminders that God did not abandon us. There's always reason to give thanks. God did not abandon Martha and Mary. God did not abandon Lazarus. God did not abandon Jesus. God did not abandon the apostles. God did not abandon the early church. God will not abandon us. There's always reason to give thanks. We pray this prayer, this Eucharist, this great thanksgiving, because even when there is darkness ahead, we have reason to give thanks. We pray this prayer because even while Jesus was giving up his life, He prayed, Father, I thank you. We pray this prayer of thanksgiving because there is never a time and there will never be a time when God will abandon us. It has always been our story. It will always be our story. God is with us. Even unto death, God is with us.